Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Como decimos en México, hay que dejarnos de mamadas. No hay que... Los, los cinturones aquí se hacen a un lado. Hay que pelear por honor y por gloria nada más. En este deporte no se viene a jugar y no le tengo miedo a nadie. Como lo dije en la pelea pasada, ahorita mismo me vuelvo a poner los guantes. ¡Viva México! Felipe, very good. Uh, Lucy, how's everybody? Good. Good, good. Thank you. Well, we have about an hour and a half of female boxing talk. We haven't been on the show for about three weeks because uh, we had some fights to cover on Thursdays. But we are here. Um, originally, we were supposed to have the WBC uh, silver 108-pound champion, Miss. Seniesa Superbad Estrada, but unfortunately about an hour ago she contacted us and let us know that she would not be able to be with us because of some kind of emergency. So we hopefully we're gonna try to reschedule with her so that we can talk to her about her big win against Marlene Esparza on the undercard of Saul Canelo Alvarez against Sergi Kovalev. But tonight we do have a lot to talk about. So why don't we get started fairly quickly here? and go to the fight rewind or the fight results for the last three weeks, starting off on Friday, November 1st from Sam's Town in Las Vegas, Nevada. 
Mayweather Promotions gave us on Showtime, but this fight, unfortunately, wasn't um, broadcast, and I wasn't able to find it anywhere. I, I believe it was broadcast on the Facebook page of Mayweather Promotions, but Ava Knight, after making a successful debut in uh, MMA, surprisingly came back to boxing and scored a unanimous decision over tough veteran uh, Luna del Mar Torroba of Argentina. It was an eight-rounder scheduled at 112 pounds, and the scores there were 80-72 and 79-73. Two times. Did any of you two get to watch this fight? Because I didn't get to see it. I was there in attendance. Oh, yeah. You oh, were there, David, because this was, this was the night before that actual um, the uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez uh Surgical. So what did you see in Ava Knight that night? Well, you know, it's amazing that she has a, a big following. Uh, you know, even though she hadn't fought for a while and it was hard for her to get fights, uh, when I showed up there, the place was packed. It was sold out. She had a lot of people there just to watch her. I mean, aside from the other fighters, she did have her own crowd there. And uh, she had a very tough fight. Even though she won most of the rounds, every round was competitive, uh, uh, Torobo was pretty good. Uh, they were trading uh, big blows. I mean, they weren't uh, dancing out there. And uh, uh, even Knight looked uh, pretty good. She beat. Uh, she basically beat uh, Torobo to the punch. And uh, but she would throw a combination, and she would receive a combination. So um, it, it was a pretty good fight. She showed she showed herself well. Good. Did you did you catch it on the the social media there, Lupi? Yeah, I did. I saw it on Mayweather's page. They usually it, it, they're kind of hard to find. You got to go through the video. Sometimes they get all kind of out of sequence. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it was probably great to watch in person because then you get to see the crowd she has, like David said, because she does have a big following. She has a huge NorCal following. She's got a a Vegas following because she was out there for a while, or she's still out there. What was great to see is that Ava Knight still got it. She's still young. She's still a contender. I mean, if people, she called uh, Sunita out after the fight. So, and I think, I mean, maybe uh, Sunita would take it because Ava's older now. But Ava still got it. Well, I mean, I didn't know that she had called her out. One thing about that is that this was right before the fight between Estrada and Marlene Esparza, which we're going to talk about, but. You know, it's no secret to us here on the show and those who follow female boxing is that Sinesa Estrada is not a natural flyweight. She's fought at that weight class uh, a number of times, but under she's admitted that the reason that she has fought um, at 112 pounds is because she just couldn't find opponents at 108, which is her natural mm-hmm. weight class. Um, and she even has mentioned here when we've had her on the show before that if Given the opportunity, she could go down to 105 and face uh, What's that? No, oh, very easily. She she actually uh, she walks around at 108 at her heaviest, and uh, she could easily get down to 105 easily. Yeah, so she would fight to she would fight 105. She says she would fight Anabel Ortiz, the WBA champ, um, there. 
or you know, 108. The only reason that she went up to fight at Esparza at 112 is because she really wanted the fight because they had that grudge match. But we'll talk about that when we get there. But I agree with you, uh, Lupi, and I'm sure that David would agree that that would be a pretty good fight. But I just don't think that at 31 years old, Ava can get any uh, lower than the 112 mark. Yeah. Uh, you know, because mm-hmm. in this fight, she weighed 100, uh, 111 and three quarters. You know, has she ever fought at 108? Let me see. I think she, yeah, she got down to 108 back in 2013. Yeah, back in 2013, she she did get back to, she get down to 108 to fight Susana Vasquez, who she defeated via unanimous decision in Chihuahua, Mexico. Uh, Beyond that, that's the only time she, back back in the beginning of of her career, back in 2008, she got down to 109 and a half. And she got a drug in Jody Esquibel in New Mexico. Jody Esquibel from New Mexico, now a full-on, full-time uh, MMA fighter. So uh, she's gotten down didn't to 110. She, uh, and didn't she fight La, La Roca at 108? Uh, let me check here, Susana. No. Uh, well, it doesn't show. It might have been. Uh, yeah, it's like flyweight title, so it must have been, uh, yeah, 108. It doesn't give us the official weight, but they did fight at 108. At 108 because that it was for the WBC light flyweight title, which La Roca ended up winning uh, via a very contested uh, unanimous decision. So we'll see what it brings what brings Ava Knight uh, back to boxing. If it's a fight against Ines Estrada, that should be enough. Or if she keeps on fighting in MMA on Saturday, November 2nd in Tampa, Florida, Chevelle Hellback came back from uh, somewhat of a retirement to score unanimous decision over Silvio Sabatos in a six-rounder at 147 pounds. And on the same fight card, Alicia Baumgartner, the lightweight, uh, scored unanimous decision over Annette Pavello um, in a six-rounder. No scores were announced for either one of those uh, fights. One thing surprising, I mean, obviously these fights weren't televised, but one thing that I was surprised is Alicia Baumgartner, whose only loss came to... Um, former champion Cristina Linazartu um, went the distance with Annette Pabello. Annette Pabello, at best, is probably a natural super bantam weight, but she's quite overweight. We've seen her fight before, um, but you know, here she went the distance with Alicia Baumgartner. I don't know if that is a testament to Pabello's chin or to Baumgartner's lack of power at 135 pounds. Now, the same night on November 2nd, from the uh, Manchester Arena in Manchester on the on the zone, Katie Taylor went up five pounds from the 135-pound title where she reigned supreme as a unified, undefeated, and undisputed world champion and went up the five pounds to challenge uh, Dominican fighting on the Greece, Christina Linardartu, scoring a unanimous decision over 10 rounds to capture the WBO Super lightweight title scores there were 97, 93, two times in 96, 94. Lupi, what were your thoughts on this fight? Katie Taylor's performance at 140 pounds. Katie Taylor had a, I like the way she was boxed in. She, you know, she, she was out, she was out boxing Christina. I know that some people thought that Katie Taylor was running. I didn't see that. I saw that she was boxing her way through I thought Christina, I, I liked the way Christina fought. She doesn't care who she was fighting. I liked her style. She was so aggressive. I thought she was, she has a nice style. She's tough. 
Um, I thought it was a great fight. I just thought um, the scorecards were wide. They were wide. I, the scores I were ninety. Well, two I of them, them were ninety-seven, ninety-three, and you saw it closer to the ninety-six, ninety-four. Yeah, I saw it closer. Yeah. David, your thoughts? But I think. Go ahead. Go, go. Uh, You're I was, good. You want to go ahead, David. You know what I thought is um when I, when I saw the fight, uh, Leonardo dude just came out, you know, guns blazing, and. Um, mm-hmm. After a couple of rounds, I, I mean, I had uh, her up right off the bat, two, three rounds. And then uh, Katie Taylor, you know, kind of got her rhythm, kind of figured her out. And then she just gave her angles and angles. And yeah. it was pretty, she's pretty smart. Katie's really smart. And she's able to do yeah. what she does. But what made me think is, what if this is three rounds? I mean, three-minute rounds. Would she be mm-hmm. able to do that in three-minute rounds? Because... For two-minute rounds, she was able to, you know, to outsmart her. But three-minute rounds, I think, would have made a difference. Yeah, I think now, so. Now, I think that one thing that we saw in that last fight with Pursun, and we saw again here with Lena Zartu, is that Katie Taylor, she's fought aggressive fighters that have come at her, you know, and try to make it a bra, and she has been able to weather the storm and I'll box them pretty easily. But when you get a fighter that has that style that might be a little bit higher level than the ones that she faced before, you could start seeing the vulnerability in Katie Taylor. We saw it in Delphine Pursun in a fight that many, many saw Delphine Pursun uh, win. And then we saw it in this fight against Lina Darcho where there were moments there where, you know, Katie Taylor didn't look as comfortable as she has looked in the past dominating the other opponents that she has faced. One of the fighters that comes to mind that was very aggressive and wasn't afraid to mix it up with Taylor, but just wasn't at her level was the, uh, the Brazilian that lost the WBO title um, to Katie Taylor at 135 pounds. Uh, I think her name is, I'll get her name right now. You know, she was very aggressive, and she was willing to mix it up with Katie Taylor, but she just wasn't Rose Volante. She just wasn't at her level. But when she gets yeah. a Delphine Persoon, who's definitely at her level, and a Christina Lenardartu, who is willing to mix it up and also quite might have the advantage in weight, then you start seeing some vulnerability. And I do agree with Lupi that the scores were those that 97-93 were perhaps a little bit too wide. I had it at the closer 96 94 for Kenny Taylor, but now she does become a two divisional world champion. She still is mm-hmm. the undisputed and and undefeated um, 135 pound champion, and now she owns one fourth of the crown at 140. So we'll see what is next for her and who she ends up facing. Does she go down to 135 and faces Amanda Serrano? Does she stay at 140? and faces Armando Serrano at 140, or does she go up to 147 and goes after Cecilia Breakhouse, which is something that might happen now that Breakhouse has also signed uh, an exclusive contract with the zone. So there's a lot of avenues for well, Katie Taylor, so there's a lot of fights for her. I think an obvious one that, that you haven't mentioned is uh, Jessica McCaskill, who has two titles. At that same that, that, 140. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, good point. And a fight that, you know, McCaskill has been asking about. She's done it here on the show. Also, her manager slash trainer, Rick Ramos, has 
uh, mentioned that that is a fight that they definitely want to uh, make happen. And like you mentioned, David, now that she has two titles at 140 pounds, you know, it makes it more enticing. The first time that they faced each other, McCaskill wasn't really bringing anything to the table, but her record and her willingness to fight, you know, one of the top three pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Now she brings more to the table. She brings um, some solid performances on the zone and also those two titles that you mentioned. So that is also a, a good option for Katie Taylor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She could be undisputed again. Wow. Also on the same card, uh, Terry Harper from England uh, scored, I believe it was a unanimous decision over Vivian Obenauf at 130 pounds, capturing the 130-pound title. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about her on the on the fight chatter. Um, but uh, I was pretty impressed with her. I really like her style. Um, she's very Me polished. Uh, she, I've never seen her fight before. I heard the name, but being on this card that w- along with Katie Taylor, I really liked uh, her style, and, and I hope to see more of her. Uh, Lupe, did you get a chance yeah. to catch Terry Harper? Yeah, I did, and you're right. She is polished. She's such a clean fighter. Um, and you know what? We, we will. I, I was hearing her name before the last year, and now we could see, and we'll be hearing more from her. David? Yeah, that was my first uh, time watching her. She's a very strong, very strong fighter. Like you said, polished. Uh, she knows what she's doing. Uh, I mean, I, I saw her exchanging evenly with Viviana, and she just, it just seemed like Terry was much stronger than Viviana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she only has, uh, she has less than 10 fights. She's also, uh, obviously, she just captured the IBO uh, world super featherweight title. In my opinion, this is strictly my opinion. I, I don't consider the IBO a major world title. I mean, obviously, I still follow the consensus that the WBO, WBA, WBC, and IBF are the major titles. But the IBO is very consistent. They've been there up. They've been up there. So if you're gonna win a regional, not a regional, but a fringe title, I would imagine that the IBO is the one that you want to that you want to win because Cecilia Breakhouse holds, you know, the 147 version of it. And, um, and, you know, there's other champions, male and female that hold versions of the IBO. So she just, I believe uh, this uh, Hannah Rankin won, I think the 168 IBO title. So, you know, there are some, there are some good uh, fighters that are the IBO champions, but obviously jumping up to the, one of the four major ones is a bit more respected. And lastly for, November 2nd, that Saturday, which was a boxing female boxing palooza, we have from the MGM Grand Las Vegas, the zone gave us Sinis Estrada scoring a technical decision over Marlene Esparza in their long-awaited, much-anticipated grudge match scheduled for three-minute, ten rounds, ten three-minute rounds for the vacant interim WBA 112-pound title. After a cut that Marlene Esparza suffered in the middle of the fight, the fight was stopped after nine rounds. Um, there was a little bit of confusion that if it had been stopped, then it would have given Estrada a TKO. But then it was determined that they were going to go to the scorecards. And the scorecards read 90 after nine rounds uh, because they didn't finish that 10th round. They scored it 90-81. 89-82 and 88-83 all 
lopsided for Sinise Estrada. Mr. David Avila was in the house for that fight. David, your thoughts? Amazing. It was an amazing display. I was uh, very uh, uh, happy that, uh, you know, Marlon, she could have opted out early. And uh, if she had, then we wouldn't have got that that kind of fight. Uh, The fans were really uh, excited about their performance, both of them. Uh, Marlon gutted it out. She she started quick. Uh, Sinisa figured it out very quick. And then, uh, you know, she basically uh, took over. But uh, Marlon, you know, did everything she could. It looked like the three-minute rounds made a big difference Uh, because – they all of a sudden Marlon uh, seemed to lose steam around the third, uh, third fourth round, and uh, it made a difference. It made a big difference in the fight. What did you guys see, Lupi? I think I think that conditioning won the fight. You know, the the one who has had better conditioning. But you guys, David, you're right. That was it was an incredible fight. It lived up from the face off on on Instagram to the face-off in person, to the fight. I mean, it is totally up for fight of the year. It was incredible. Um, you know, Mar- I think Marlene really, she gave it her all. I don't know if, I, if one of my questions was for Sinisa was going to be, was that the up to this point in her career, was this the fight? I mean, but the whole package, Marlene coming at her like she did, because um, she never really, I mean, has she had anybody that, Marlon was coming after her. Like, you know, I think Sinisa put up a really great fight. It was a great fight. I mean, all the way around. David, did she you have, end up... Marlon have made it one more round? Hmm. You know, that's another yeah. question. Could she have pulled another round out? She could have, but what would have been the, what, what would have, I think mean, she might have, I mean, she really was being bothered by that blood, but according to the judges, what would it be, it wouldn't have made a difference because, they had Sinisa yeah. winning by a landslide. David, did you end up uh, scoring the fight from ringside? Yeah, yeah. What did I, you have? I was it? like the judges. I, I wow. gave uh, um, uh, Marlon two, almost three rounds. The seventh round I almost gave to her, uh, to uh, Marlon, but uh, I gave it to Sinisa. And then uh, the eighth and ninth, I mean, Sinisa was bombs away. I mean, she was going for the yeah. knockout. She wasn't. She yeah. didn't even care. She was going for the knockout. And uh, Marlon, you know, gutted it out. She took some big shots. Marlon has a chin because Sinisa yeah. has knocked out many girls with those punches, and Marlon took those, some of those shots flush. Now, I have. I mean, I I totally agree with what you guys are saying. It was a great fight. It was a great performance by both fighters. I do agree with Lupi that it came down to conditioning and that even though Marlene Esparza was so adamant on our show, uh, on our episode number 76, when we had her here, um, that it was her idea to go with the three-minute round. She thought that it would be a benefit to her because she had fought at it before. Like David said, you could tell by the third or fourth round that she was gassed out. Then the fact that she got that cut over on her forehead, which was gushing blood. I mean, when you lose, she was losing a, a lot of blood. And when you start losing blood like yeah. that, especially with yeah. the with yeah. adrenaline and everything going, you get even more tired. So so that made a difference to, to as well. Um, I personally, I mean, I was, 
I mean, I really paid attention to this fight, and I, I, uh, I scored it, and I had it a lot closer, a lot closer. I mean, I had Estrada winning by one point, but out of the ten rounds or the nine rounds that they fought, I I scored I, five of them. I notated them as very close where they could have gone either round, and I believe that except for those two rounds that David mentioned that, you know, that, that Sinesta Estrada was really going for the knockout and she really scored some big punches. I think the rest of the rounds were highly competitive, that they could have gone either way, but obviously the judges liked more of what they saw from Sinesta Estrada. But if you go, if you're going to judge the fight by the scorecards, I don't think it gives it justice. I don't, if you go, if you if you just picked, if you opened up BoxRec and you saw the scorecard and you saw 90, 80, 81, 89, 82, and 88, 83, you would think that Sinesta Estrada had a walk in the park, and that was not the case. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I do believe that the fight was a lot closer than, or it could have been a lot closer. But if you had to choose in those close rounds, those five rounds that at least I thought were pretty close and you had it and you went Kinesi Stratus way, then the scorecards make sense. But, you know, I had it a little bit closer and I had Kinesi winning by one round. So, um, but what do I know? I'm not a Las Vegas judge. Well, it's a valid point because uh, most of the rounds were competitive except for the eighth and ninth. That's when uh, Sadisa just dominated those rounds. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but you're right. I mean, but just, but that's not the way fights are, you know, it's either ten nine or, or mm-hmm. one way or ten nine the other way. It, you're right. They were competitive rounds. I mean, it yeah. wasn't like a like eight and nine. Now, but the thing and the thing that kind of chaps my highs, excuse my language, um, is that the fight was a competitive fight up to a certain point. We got the cut. We got the blood. You know. You know. Marlene Sparza got tired. Did she get tired quicker than? She would have, if she wouldn't have gotten that big cut with all that blood gushing, I don't know. She might not have gotten that tired, and she could have put up a better fight. But with the scores being what they are, it really doesn't call for a rematch. Because Ines Estrada could say, hey, I beat you. Look at the scores. You barely won a round on one scorecard. You barely won two Mm -hmm. rounds on the other scorecard. I don't need to give you a rematch. I beat you by a landslide. You know, and, yeah. and I think and I think that the fight, as far as the action, we both, we all agree here, all three of us agree that it's a candidate for fight of the year, that I think the action and what happened with the accidental headbutt merits a rematch. What do you think, David? Uh, yeah, I, I agree only because um, Marlon took her best shots, and, and I'm, I'm curious to see what would happen, like you said. Minus the cut. Uh, although I've seen Sinisa get a bad cut just like that and knock out the well, knock out the girl like in two, three rounds. So. But uh, yeah, I've seen uh, Sinisa get a bad cut too and fight fight on. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I could see a rematch down the line. I mean, not the next fight, but maybe in a year or two. Now, do you think um, that? Giving the shot to have a rematch, do you think that um, Marlene Esparza would opt for a three-minute round again? 
you know, that's a good, that's a real good question. Uh, it, it would be up to Marlon to accept it or not. But one thing I, I, I've learned from Marlon just from the last few times that I've talked to her is that she's got a lot of guts. And I could see her doing it again, just to say that I can do it in three minutes. I'll just train harder. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I agree with you with that. That Marlene Esparza would probably not, her, her pride would not let her say, I don't want three minutes, I want two minutes. And that she, that her answer yeah. to that will be to train harder. Yeah, I see yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah, they. Okay. I mean, the crowd was really responsive to the to the fight at three minute rounds. Yeah, and and the fact that it was you know it it was predominantly featured on the fight card, you know, I, I, all the way around. I think if not, maybe by the action that has gone inside the ring, you know, because I think there was a lot of action, and I do agree that it's a candidate for fight of the year. I mean, obviously, we would have that conversation in a month or a month and a, and a month and about five weeks when it is the end of the year and we go through our, uh, through our nominations and our winners. But if anything, everything that happened around the fight was, I think, the best event for a female fight this year. You know, from what Lupi mentioned, you know, the, the grudge match that has been built, boiling up for years and years and years from the amateurs, um, that that face off at the at the uh when they got to the hotel you know the instagram video um all the things they said back and forth to each other um you know it all built up to to what we saw on that saturday night from las vegas and i think as far as the event of the year when it comes to a female fight i don't think that there has been any better than Cinesia Estrada uh against Marlene Esparza this year mm-hmm. Yep. There was over a hundred reporters after the fight. That I've, I haven't seen that. I've never seen that. Wow, that's great. Wow, that is pretty awesome. Now let's move on to Saturday, November 9th in Mexico. Lourdes Juarez, la pequeña Lulu. Uh, we spoke about her in our last show where we were kind of scratching our heads of why she continues to get these kind of fights where it's really like um, you know getting an opponent last minute. The opponent is not at her level at least. Uh, record-wise, I mean, she only has about, I think she only has like two losses and over 20 wins. She's ranked number one, or or let's see what she's ranked, but she's she's up there in the in the rankings at for the WBC. She has been screaming from the mountain tops that she wants an opportunity against the WBC flyweight champion Ibet La Roca Zamora. Uh, ranked number one is Lourdes Juarez, and she ends up fighting. A two and eight and one fighter at the time of the fight in Celeste Belen Gonzalez, a southpaw, but it ended up being a pretty good fight. Um, Gonzalez was very aggressive. She kind of has a, a similar style to La, La Roca Zamora, even though she's a southpaw. And, you know, Juarez looked uh, very well, very precise, good counter punching, boxing very well, and she ended up taking the uh, win. With uh, scores of 79-74, 79-73, and 78-74 over uh, eight rounds. After this fight, Juarez has been very vocal and very adamant that she definitely wants an opportunity for that WBC world title. Next, if she were to fight La Roca Zamora next and win that fight, I think it would be the first time in 
at least uh, Mexican female boxing history that two sisters have held world titles at the same time. I think that in the United States and world, obviously, um, the Serrano Sixers were both champions at the same time with Cindy Serrano holding the WBO uh, featherweight title and Amanda Serrano holding one of the many, many of the eight titles that she's held. But I don't think there's been uh, a set of two sisters in Mexico that have held um, world titles at the same time. So that would be a, a history in the making for uh, for the Juarez sisters. Okay. Uh, moving on to the same night on November 9th. Um, in London, England, ESPN Plus, Chantel Cameron scored a decision in a WBC uh, world title eliminator at 140 pounds against former uh, two-divisional world, three-divisional world champion Anaí Esther Sanchez. Scores there were 189 two times uh, and 99-90 where Cameron sent Sanchez down um, to the canvas in the ninth round with the body shot. You know, Cameron, um, she might be, be one of the leading female fighters out of England. A lot of has been mm-hmm. talked about her facing Katie Taylor in the um, amateurs where she lost to Katie Taylor. Uh, but you know what? To me, she's still being developed. She's be, still being developed. I mean, she looked very well, and this was an important win against uh, a former champion in, in Anaí Sanchez. But, you know, Cameron had a big advantage in size. She looked way bigger than Sanchez inside the ring, and I think that helped because she was able to kind of, like, bully her around the ring. Um, but, you know, this is a WBC, this was a WBC eliminator at 140 pounds, so that gives her the right to challenge um, Jessica McCaskill for that title. Jessica McCaskill holds the WBC, WBA world titles at 140. So if at one point the WBC, who are not known to uh, force the, you know, the mandatory challenger fights against the world champions, but if they do decide to do it, Chantel Cameron will be the opponent for Jessica McCaskill. Have you had a chance to see her fight as a pro, Lupi? Uh, Chantel? Yes. Oh, yeah, um, you sent it earlier, and I was watching a few of the rounds this last fight with Anahi. Mm-hmm. She is strong, and she has good conditioning, too, because Anahi was getting big stings from good blows. And then Anahi got a little tired, and Chantel was still going. I mean, when she dropped her, she dropped her twice in that round, right? I think it was. I think only it counted. They only counted it once, but I think she did okay. end up twice on on the canvas in that round. Um, what do you see her chances? I mean, do you think she could be competitive against Jessica McCaskill? Do you think she has a good chance, or do you think that Jessica McCaskill is just a little bit too much for her right now? She's only twelve and zero yeah, with seven much. knockouts. Yeah, too much for her right now. Like you said, she's still uh, she's still growing, but soon. I mean, I, I mean. In a while. I know she's calling people out. Like, she's really excited after this win, which she should be, but she's still growing. David, have you had a chance to see Cameron? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lupe. Finish up. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, is there anybody else that would be up uh, for Jessica? Mm. Well, uh, well, I mean, 
I mean, Katie Taylor, like David mentioned earlier in the show, yeah. and then you have, uh, well, the IBF title is vacant there. Uh, but Jessica, yeah. I mean, obviously, she's looking for that Katie Taylor fight. She may be looking for a Cecilia yeah. breakout fight at 147. Um, Christina Linadartu, I wouldn't mind seeing her get a shot. Jessica McCasco, I think that would be a great fight um, after Linadartu gets a win, perhaps. Um, I don't know if yeah, Amanda Serrano... Yeah, if Amanda Serrano wants to go to 140 and maybe try her hand at Jessica McCasco at 140 as well. David, who do you think would be a good matchup against McCasco if not Katie Taylor or Chantel Cameron? Well, I know that the uh, team McCasco has a hard set on Katie Taylor, and I can see why because that's where the big money is. I mean, yeah. Katie makes yeah. near a million dollars. Why? Why wouldn't you want to fight her first? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I waste your time with uh, Cameron, even though she, uh, yeah. Cameron looks pretty good. She does look pretty strong. But uh, if I'm the Casco, I want the big money. I don't want the little money. I want yeah. the big money. Uh-huh. Now, look at this, yeah. guys. Um, they, obviously, the WBC female ratings have not been updated to show Chantel Cameron as a number one rated uh, super lightweight. In fact, they still show Christina Linardartu as the WBO champion. But, I mean, let's say as of last month, October, and they haven't updated it for November, which is kind of, um, you know, it should have been updated by now. But, but let's go. If you, the number one rated fighter is none other than Melissa Hernandez, who had just come back from a retirement to beat Selena Barrios not too long ago. So she is rated the number one oh. fighter. I, I wouldn't mind seeing I mean, if you want to keep a little bit of keep busy oh. fight with a fighter that's going to bring it, I don't mm-hmm. see why Hernandez is not a good uh, fight for Jessica McCaskill. But she is rated number one or at least number two now when they put Cameron there as number one. So I like that fight. So do I. Uh, another fighter that we're not mentioning either is uh, uh, Layla McCarter. She's actually 140. Who fights yeah. at 147? She's another yeah, I mean, one. Very dangerous. Now, would you think? Do you think? I mean, obviously, we know we've had her here on the show. We talked about it, and the reason that that um, what many believe the main reason. Well, I don't know if the main reason. Some people believe that Cecilia Breakhouse is dodging uh, MacArthur because she thinks that, it, that many people think that it might be too much of a fight. But another big reason why that fight's not been made is because of the money. Do you think that yep. Layla MacArthur would be more, um, flexible in the money that she may be willing to receive to fate Jessica McCaskill at 140? Uh, I think if the money is right, I'm sure she would do it, but I, I think it's all about the money. I don't. I think even uh, Cecilia Breakers, all of them. It's all about the money. I think uh, Layla McCarter's team wants a certain amount, and they're waiting for that. You know, because uh, hmm. I guess they they figure she deserves it because she's been on top for so long. But uh, you know, I guess we have to have Layla, Layla on the show again to find out. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now rank number two. Obviously, like I mentioned, it's not the most up-to-date list, but it is the one that is live right now on the WBC website. Ranked number two at 140 is Callie Reese, who is a fighter who has fought um, pretty heavy. I mean, we saw her at 147 against Cecilia Breakhouse on HBO. 
uh, last year. And we've seen her all the way up to 160. Uh, Christina Hammer, losing to Christina Hammer in 2016, and actually fighting at 155 in the 150s and the one uh, hitting almost 160. Maricela Cornejo beating her split decision at 155 and a quarter in 2016. But since fighting Cecilia Brickhouse, she has slowly come down um, close to to 140, um, and she's ranked number two. What do you think are her chances against McCaskill, David, at 140? That's really interesting, you know. It depends on what kind of energy she can keep because uh, McCaskill's high energy. I mean, Mm -hmm. McCaskill has a motor like very few people do. Uh, And if Kelly Reese can keep that kind of energy, she's got a shot because she has power. But uh, it, it just depends on how she can carry that weight for more than three or four rounds. Now, I really like those two fights. I mean, if, we, if we're going to put Jessica, Jessica Masaskill has had, you know, her, one thing about her is that, you know, she doesn't have a lot of experience as a professional. We know that. She came to boxing a little bit later in life and to her pro career a little bit later in life. She's eight and two with three knockouts as a professional. And she's already faced Katie Taylor and is a unified champion at 140 in 10 fights, which is pretty impressive. Okay. So yeah, in her last, is her last one, two, three, four, she's fought Katie Taylor, Erika Farias, who was a world champion and she beat her for that title. Then she faced another mm-hmm. world champion and Anaí, Anaí Esther Sanchez, who we just talked about that she faced Cameron at 140. Right. And then um, she faced in a horrible fight, against Erika Farias again. So in her last four fights, she's faced four world champions, okay? Does she deserve a little bit of a slighter, uh, uh, I don't want to say easier touch, but not a world-class fighter like the the three that I just mentioned? Yeah. So does she, if we're going to give her a fight that's going to be like a holding pattern type of fight, I really like uh, either Melissa Hernandez or Callie Reese. I, you know, it's funny, but I think Melissa's more dangerous than Kelly Reese. I mean, wow. Melissa just knows how to fight. She's very skilled. I was really impressed yeah. with Kelly Reese at, at 147 against Cecilia Breakhouse. I mean, she really brought it to Cecilia Breakhouse and it ended up hurting her as well. So, I mean, I agree with you, David. I mean, Hernandez is a tough competitor. She's a really experienced, but I think Reese might be a little bit fresher of the two. And like you say, Maybe. to face McCaskill, you gotta be fresh because you know you're gonna throw a lot of punches over ten rounds. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really key that weight. How can she, can she really fight at that weight? I mean, making it once is is you know okay, but can you fight it one you know yeah. after dropping down to one forty? A lot yeah. of people can't do it. Yeah, I'm not gonna shake a stick at Melissa Hernandez against Jessica McCaskill either. But you know, I think Kelly Reese is pretty pretty dangerous there as well. I mean, she she after the Cecilia Breakout fight, she fought Patty, Patty Ramirez at 144. Then she fought Silvia Savaros at 146, and then she defeated uh, uh, Mariana Juarez's other fighting sister, Patricia Juarez, at 142. So she has slowly slowly been trying to get down to that 140. Um, but but she's fought at 140 before. She actually started her career at 143. So she's been around that that weight class, but I guess she just went up 
to the 50s because she was getting a lot more uh, opportunities, like I mentioned, Christina Hammer, Hannah Gabriel, uh, Micaela Lauren, Maricela Cornejo, uh, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So, but let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I think it's a very interesting uh, division right now for female fighters at 140 with, you know, Lena Dartu is already is there as well. Um, I think that would be a really great fight against Jessica McCaskill, but I would imagine that her people would like to get her a win before getting her into another world title fight. Um, Chantel Cameron, uh, who we're talking about, Katie Taylor has jumped up uh, to 140. Amanda Serrano has been uh, threatening to go up to 140 again, I mean, at one point to get another world title there. So I think it could be very interesting for female fighters um, at 140. Yeah, it's turning into an interesting uh, division. It's kind of like the flyweights. Flyweights are, are getting very interesting, and now the 140s are getting very interesting. Now, also, at, uh, on Monday, November 11th, a weird day for a title fight. Um, used to be like that in the 50s and the 60s here in the United States, but that's changed uh, quite a while. But in Belgium, Delphine Persoon dropped to the 130-pound division and scored a unanimous decision over... Uh, Helen Joseph in a 10-rounder to capture the interim WBA 130-pound uh, title. Scores were 98-92 and 97-92 two times. I heard it was a very competitive fight. Uh, I, I wasn't able to find any footage on it except for, like, some handheld stuff, and I don't really like seeing that. Uh, it's really hard to tell what's going on. David, did you get a chance to see this fight, or have you gotten a better feed, or what did you hear about this fight? Yeah, you know, I, I spoke to Helen Joseph after the fight, and she felt that she beat up uh, Delphine Pursuit. Uh, she felt that after the fight that if you looked at both of them, she came up the one looking better. But uh, I, I saw some clips. I could see, uh, you know, Delphine is very aggressive. And, uh, and while they were exchanging, uh, Helen was really good at slipping a lot of shots and then getting in some real good shots, but it was just that overabundance of punches that Delphine is known for now. You know, she just throws you volume after volume of uh, blows, and she, you know, begs you to, to try to keep up, and it's seldom to, can anybody keep up with Delphine Pursuit. Yeah. Lupe, what do you think of the decision to drop to 130? Um, do you think that – what what, what First with Lupe, what, why do you think she did that? You know, in that day at 135 where many saw her win against Katie Taylor. Good question. I, I don't know. That is a really good question. David, what do, you, do you have an answer for that? Uh, I have theories, but no answers. <laughs> what's, what's one of your theories? I, what's I a theory? No yeah. You know, I think um, maybe she's after Michaela Mayer. Maybe she thinks there's a... a if she can grab that title there, then she can get uh, another shot at, at a, another up-and-coming fighter like a Michaela or maybe, uh, you know, somebody like that or a Maiva Hamadouche again. Uh, who knows? Hmm. That's a good point. Oh, that's interesting. Um, that is interesting. At, at the WBA at 130 pounds, the champion is Hugh Min Choi from South Korea, 17 and 0, one draw, four knockouts. The new interim champion is Delphine Persoon with 44 wins, two losses, 18 knockouts. And the WBC is Eva Wallstrom. And the interim champion at 130 is 
um, who just won the title, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, Katharina Sanders from Norway, the IBF mm-hmm. champion is Maiva Hamadouche, whose only loss has been to Delphine Persoon at 135 pounds, right. and the WBO is Ewa Bronica. So obviously, I now that I think about it, I, I didn't really have a theory, but now that I think about it, I mean, if Delphine Pursuit wanted to be a world champion again at 135 pounds, there's only one name there, and it's Katie Taylor. And Katie Taylor, obviously, even though she says that she is willing to give Delphine Pursuit the rematch, her actions speak louder than words because she just went up to 140 and challenged and won the WBO title. So she might be saying that Delphine Pursuit is still on the radar for 2020, but her acts, her actions are not showing that yeah. going up five pounds yeah. to the 140 pound division, you know. So if the Pins person wants to make a name for herself again and become a world champion, and if she can easily drop the five pounds and drop down to 130, then that was the right that was the right uh, move because now she could possibly entice Hyun Min Choi to come to Belgium because obviously she's the star there. Eva Wallström, she. To go over there, I think she already beat Eva Wallstrom, right? Eva Wallstrom went up to 135 or no? Yeah. Yeah. Delphine beat her already, right? But the, the, has Delphine oh, beat her? Oh, okay. Uh, so I don't maybe. Know about Delphine. No, she's only no, lost one. Lost yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so then maybe she could entice the, uh, Eva Wallstrom to come up to go to Belgium. Um, Maybe this new Norwegian champion, Katarina Tanders, to go and fight her. She could try to do the Rio match with Maiva Hamadouche or get the pole Ewa Branica. So there's a lot more choices to make world title fights than one choice at 135 against yeah. a fighter who holds. Yeah, Kenny Taylor holds. She's the A side at 135. Perhaps at 130, being that she's in Belgium and she's pretty popular in Belgium. Delphine Pursuit is the A-side at 130. So, I agree with David. I mean, now that you put it like that, I, I that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. On Friday, November 15th, from Liverpool, Natasha Jones keeps climbing up after suffering a loss earlier in her career. Scores a technical knockout over Bianca Maslath in a six-runner at 135 pounds. The uh, official time was there 30 seconds. And on Saturday, November 16th, from Ciudad Cuauhtémoc in Mexico, Jamiles Mercado makes good on the rematch against uh, African Fatima Surica, scoring a lopsided United's decision over 10 rounds. Scores there were 99-91 and 98-92 two times, uh, making her the newly crowned WBC Super Bantamweight champion. After the fight, because the fight, there's no highlights, there's no, there's no highlights, there's no nothing. Okay, I watched the fight, there's nothing to write about and to uh, write home about. But I do want to discuss a little bit about that. But the more important is that Surika, after the fight, publicly stated that the reason that she didn't really put up much of a fight, only throwing jabs and sporadic right hands, versus the first fight, which was a split decision win for her back in Kenya, is because she did not receive any support from her government and that she would rather the belt stay in Mexico where it is valued 
more than in her home country. So pretty strong uh, statement there by Surika Lupi. Yeah, I, I saw the video, and, and, you know, they were translated, of course, but you could feel the emotion in the video, and I kind of believe her, you know. I mean, some people will say, yeah, excuses. I kind of believed what she was saying just by her emotion, and it's pretty sad. But then what does that say about Yamalek win? You know, we don't want to put that down. Well, yeah, you can't take you can't take away from Yamalek win because she did what she needed to do mm-hmm. outside and inside the ring. I mean, she got prepared for the best uh, Surika that she thought would come, which was the one that she faced, or, or a, a, as good of a version or a better version of the one that she faced in Africa last year. So she did everything she needed to do to prepare for that fight. You can't take away from her win. But it does kind of, you know, soil a little bit because basically Surika is telling her, hey, you know, I just let you win. I gave her the bell. David? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. I mean, I, I guess you... Surika uh, thinks she's fighting in amateurs or something, where the you know some country sponsor programs. This is the pros. There's no countries sponsoring yeah. a pro fighter. It doesn't work now, like that. I, I think somebody has to talk to her. Now, one thing that I mean, I agree with you with that, David. That this is the pros, and that there's not a lot of countries that support their their um, their athletes like that, especially their pro athletes. But we don't. I, I personally don't know, and I don't think that we know all the details because if her country is going sure. around stating that they are supporting her and they're really not, then she does have a case. But if they never said they were going to support her, she just expected to support her just because she's a world champion. You know, well then you know she's. I agree with you, and she's living in a pipe dream because no country really goes out of their way to support their professional world champions. But if they're, you know, if the president or whoever is saying, you know what, we're supporting Fatima Sarika, who is our world champion, who I believe is the only world champion out of Kenya ever in the history of boxing, male or female, you know, and he's going around saying, the president, I don't know if it's a he or she, but whoever, or whoever is going around saying that they're supporting her and they really aren't, then I I see the, the reason of why she would be a little bit upset. Yeah, I think now, the only uh, country I've ever heard of supporting a, a fighter, in this case a female fighter, was in North Korea. Uh, when uh, hmm. Mariana Waters fought that girl, uh, I forget her. She went to North Korea to fight her, and wow, her country supported her because uh, they, they basically just took the title from Mariana. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, you know, as far as... Um, yeah, I mean, Les Mercado, the new super bantamweight champion, and I shared this with uh, with both Lupe and David the night of the fight while I was watching it. One person that has come on the show and is very adamant, and perhaps the fight just got a little bit easier to make now that the champion is uh, a Mexican, even though they aren't on, on uh, competing promoters here in Mexico. But one fighter that is very adamant about going for that 122 WBC World title is Mariana La Barbie Juarez, who is the only female fighter in Mexican in Mexico's history to win three uh, world titles in three different divisions, and this would make her the fourth issuer to capture the 122-pounder. And besides the fact that she's 37 years old, but what I saw Yamiles Mercado, I think that Barbie Juarez wipes the floor with her. I, I, I saw Mercado that's slow, 
very predictable in her punch selection. Um, throws wide punches. Um, I didn't see anything that I would think that she would be able to beat the Mariana Juarez that we've seen of late. You know, maybe the Mariana Juarez that got beaten by Daniela Bermudez, but Daniela Bermudez is in a way higher level at this point than either one of those fighters, than Mariana Juarez or Camilés Mercado. But the, the Mariana Juarez that we've seen of late, I think that she very easily can become a fourth divisional world champion. It's just a matter if we're going to be able to get see that fight made between Promociones del Pueblo, who handle Mariana Juarez, and Sanford, who handles um, uh, Yamiles Mercado. Hmm. All righty. So then moving on to this, to the same Saturday, but in San Miguel de Allende, this was broadcast live on Facebook by Golden Boy. We saw Phoenix own Sulem Orvina score a third-round TKO over Luis, Luz Elena Martinez in a scheduled six-rounder at 112 pounds. The official time where was two minutes after the third round. At the end of the, of the second round, Martinez didn't um, uh, respond to the bell for the fourth uh, round. Uh, I know that you saw the fight, Lupi. What were your thoughts about Sulem Urbina, who has not fought uh, since being released from her, or actually her contract ending with Sanford, and she was looking for an opportunity. Golden Boy gave her the opportunity and put her on this card. Kind of low, uh, kind of short notice, but one thing that if you guys follow Sulem Urbina on social media, she's always training. She's always ready to fight, and it didn't seem like it was too much of a hassle for her to be able to make this fight. So what did you like about that fight? What did you see in Urbina after about a seven-month hiatus out of the ring? She dominated that fight. And, and like you said, she's always ready because I follow her. She's always working. She's always ready. She, it, she'll take any fight. She's one of those real fighters. And I know she, she was WBC's 2018 prospect of the year. I'm so happy for her, and I'm glad Golden Boy gave her gave her the the chance. She's another. I think she she's got a great career ahead of her. What do you think, David? Did you get to see the fight? Uh, no, I didn't get to see the fight. Um, but uh, I've seen Sulema her her other fights, and uh, I know what she can do. And uh, mm-hmm. maybe Golden Boy will sign her. You know, she would be perfect for Marlon. I've heard Marlon go oh, out yeah. of Arizona versus Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've actually they've actually faced each other, I believe, in the amateurs. And you know what, David? I'm gonna I'm gonna do you a solid. I thought you had a solid fight, but uh, I'm gonna send you that fight because I agree with you. I mean, I pretty much seen every every uh, Sulem Urbina fight uh, ever, and as a professional, and I seen her fight live. And quite honestly, I really I really, I really liked. What I saw in this fight, uh, because she looked a lot more aggressive. She was looking for the knockout from the opening bell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I attribute it to the fact that that um, she really didn't have an opponent at her level uh, across from her, and that is understandable because it was last minute and because she was coming mm-hmm. from a seven-month hiatus, and she knew that not mm-hmm. a lot was going to come back. Or, or maybe it could have been a, a combination of all these factors, but it could have been that, or it could have been uh, the fact that you know that she was 
given an opportunity to buy Golden Boy Promotions and she was probably trying to impress them. So that way she could hopefully get a contract from them, um, like David just stated. And Sulema Mina is, you know, she's a little bit older than a lot of fighters out there. She's a lot, she's very experienced. She's 29 years old. She fought for the National uh, Olympic Committee, Olympic team uh, for a long time. Um, internationally, no problem. Um, and she knows what it takes to market herself. She does that very well. Yeah. She's very involved very in well. a lot of different things. So she knew how much this fight meant perhaps for her career. And she really, this is the most aggressive and most professional type of fighting style that I've seen from Urbina. It's, you know, she's not the only one that I've mentioned here on the show that has been having a little bit of trouble transitioning her style from amateurs to the pros. And for the first time in her career, I saw a professional type of fighter in Sulem Urbina with this performance. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I, hopefully she continues to fight in this way. I mean, you could really tell that she was really just like walking in there. I said to the fight, David, too. She was really walking in there with her mm-hmm. earmuffs on without throwing a jab trying to entice Luz Martinez to uh, fight her and to attack her so that she could counterpunch her. And she was doing that very well with that left hook. Actually, she was being so aggressive in that last round, in that third round before Martinez called it quits, that she was actually getting caught with some not so not so great punches by Martinez, but but Urbina was being so aggressive and looking for that knockout that she was walking into some things, and it still wasn't enough for Martinez to entice herself to fight in that fourth round. So a very good yeah. performance by Sulem Urbina, and hopefully she does get another opportunity to fight sooner than later because she was out of the ring for about seven, seven months. Now, the same night, but this fight was not televised. In Ixtapaluca, Mexico, Jackie Calvo scored a unanimous decision over veteran Julius Rodriguez in a 10-rounder to capture the vacant WBC international flyweight title. Scores there were 98-92, 97-92, and 97-92 twice. I'm sorry, 97-92 twice and 98-92. And finally, in Norway on Saturday, also November 16th, Katharina Tander scored a split decision over Brazilian Danila Ramos and a 10-rounder for the interim WBC 130-pound title. Scores there were 97-93 and 96-93 for Tanders and 95-94 for Ramos. I sent you guys this fight. I have never seen these two fighters fight. And quite honestly, I like both of their styles. Very technical, um, very precise punching. Um, boxers, you know, not brawlers, boxers. And I thought it was a pretty good fight. Uh, And I wouldn't mind seeing either one of them against, you know, wow. I mean, honestly, I would think it would be a great fight either one against Mikaela Mayer. You know, I think that would be a good step up. Uh, Maybe facing the Brazilian Danila Ramos, maybe facing her to see, to kind of gauge where she's at. And then maybe going for one of those world champions at 130. If, uh, if, um, if top rank can make that happen, I would be very, very pleased and impressed. Did you guys get a chance to catch that fight? Not yet, no, I but you sent it to me, so I will. Yeah, got, watch it, because I think both of these fighters were very, very good. Uh, very good fight. Um, it wasn't a brawler. It wasn't, you know, like a like an all-action, you know, like uh, uh, 
pedal to the metal type of fight, but there were landing punches against each other and they were fighting each other uh, very uh, aggressively with good punches. So, and I think that either one of them against any of the fighters at 130, the champions, will be a very interesting fight and, and competitive. I don't know if they'll beat up the world champions at 130, uh, Katharina Sanders or Danila Ramos, but I think they would be competitive and I wouldn't mind seeing it. So if you guys haven't had a chance to watch it, um, go ahead and watch it on YouTube. It's there, but I sent you guys the link. So that brings us to the end of our fight results, which was pretty extensive, but I think it was pretty, pretty good. We, we had some good thoughts on all the fights. Now let's move on to a little bit of fight chatter with Eddie Hearn revealing on Twitter that the zone is planning an all-female card for March of 2020 with Katie Taylor headlining. I can only imagine that Lou Gabella, one way or another, is um, involved in this because he is the one that had brought this idea to Showtime. But after he revealed here on our show some months ago that he got into some hot water with Steven Espinosa and Showtime, because of uh, some dealings that he was doing uh, regarding Deontay Wilder and the zone. He pretty much got iced out from Showtime and he took his um, uh, fighters or or the fighters that he could take to UFC Fight Pass and now maybe to the zone where he did sign Amanda Serrano through a three-fight deal with the zone and Eddie Hearn with the culmination being hopefully Katie Taylor. But... You know, I think it's great. I don't know what fights have been rumored to be on this card, but one thing that they did reveal is that Katie Taylor would be headlining. So now we know that Katie Taylor will be fighting again in March. Have you heard anything, David, regarding this uh, Uh, fight card? Not the March one. I haven't heard anything about March. Uh, uh, I thought maybe it was going to be Katie and and Amanda Serrano, but... uh, I don't know. I really haven't heard anything to substantiate it. Who who's, would we have to bribe or send money to or whatever we need to do to get Eddie Hearn on the show before March? Do we have any context to try to make that? Uh, obviously, maybe not when he's in England because the, the, the time difference is crazy, but maybe when he's in New York. I know that Matchroom Boxing USA is out of uh, New York. Uh, I guess the next time he's, uh, the next time I see him, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him. Um, any, anybody the, out there, anybody out there in the in the in the podcast universe, if you guys could, could put us in contact with Eddie Hearn, I would personally somehow print a two minute round T-shirt and send it out to you guys. <laughs> All right, so it's out there. The offer is on the table. There is no, there is no, uh, there is no uh, two-minute round T-shirt. But if somebody gets us a contact to Eddie Hearn and we get him on the show, I would personally figure out a way to print some T-shirts and send them out. Okay, so the offer is on the table. Okay, so um, moving on <laughs> to the next point, um, it looks like an agreement has been reached for Terry Harper. Uh, the fighter that we were all be, were very impressed by on um, that fight card on November 2nd where she captured the IBO 130-pound title um, to face Eva Wallstrom for that WBC belt in February of 2020. So I think that's a, 
that's a uh, a good fight there. And we're gonna see what Terry Harper is made of, challenging for her world world for her first world title. And can, can um, I interrupt so, that? Yeah, go ahead. Can I interrupt on that? Okay, so yeah. around that time when that was announced, if you guys saw on Twitter, there was a bunch of stuff going on that um, Michaela Mayer says, "Wait, I was that fight was supposed to be for me," and then mm. Eva said, "No, Top Rank told her people that um, it, they weren't ready yet, or it was not, you know, not going to happen." And then Michaela said, "No, I have the text." And that's all she said. She goes, but, you know, we'll get there. And Eva said, I, I more than gladly give you the fight after that, but this is the way it's going. So they had two different stories. Wow. The, what, I, I saw something kind of, but I really didn't get into it. David, what do you think is um, pro or con? You know, do we want to see Terry Harper face Eva Wallstrom? And if she wins, does that make it an easier fight against Michaela Mayer? Or um, is it better for Eva Wasserman to win that fight against Terry Harper so that we could possibly see uh, Michaela Mayer against Eva Wasserman? Basically, the question is, is it easier to make a fight between Eva Wasserman and Michaela Mayer or Terry Harper and Michaela Mayer? Uh, I think it's all up to Wallstrom. I think basically she's been handling everything like a puppet master. She always gets what she wants. Uh, hmm. So I don't know what it is she has, but she always gets what she wants. She seems to be hmm. the one that finagles whatever fight she wants. And uh, I, I don't know how this happens, but... Uh, She's been able to do what she wants. Every I haven't seen an instance where the WBC or anybody forces her to do uh, fight a mandatory or hmm. even fight McKinnon Mayer. I, and I I don't think she wants to fight McKinnon Mayer. I really think that's the last thing she wants. Well, the yeah. WBC the WBC never mandates never mandates a uh, a a. a uh, Defense, a uh, defense. I, I, I don't. I can't even tell you the last time that they did that. You know, for a female fighter. So, um, so I don't know if that's going to be the case. Now, looking at the ratings for the WBC, um, number one is Maiva Hamadouche, which I, I seriously doubt ever wants to face her. You know, and then number two is the WBA champion Hyun Min Choi from South Korea, and number three is none other than Michaela Mayer. Now, after her is Ronica Jeffrey, and then we have another French woman by the name of Elm Mekhalid, who I believe is a Muslim, David. We wrote a, we had a, a feature story about her on the Pridefighters.com. Yeah, the Diamond Boxer. What's that, David? Yeah. She just had a fight. She just yeah. won her fight, right? Yeah, she just did. So she is number yeah, five Yeah, they call her the there. Diamond Boxer. Okay, she's number five. Um, so um, yeah, so you know the WBC. Even I mean the WBC. I mean I don't know how they can mandate a world champion for the IBF to fight um, uh, Wallstrom because number one is the IBF champion Hamadouche, and number two is Choi, who's the WBA WBA champion, and then Michaela Mayer is um, 
number three. So, I mean, she might be the highest ranked available fighter if somebody was going to be mandated, but I seriously doubt that the WBC would even go that far to do that. Um, now, at at the IBF, uh, Michaela Mayer is number two ranked uh, behind Ramon, Ramona Cohen. I don't know how to pronounce that. She's from Germany. So Michaela Mayer is, is ranked number two for the IBF. And at the WBA, she's ranked at uh, number two as well under Ramona Kueni. Maybe we could make try to make that Ramona Kueni fight as a title eliminator for either the WBA or the IBF. But what I'm thinking is that the top rank, who is Mikael Emeo's promoter, has a very cozy relationship with the WBO. The WBO world champion is the Paul Ewa Branica, who's undefeated at 18-0 with only two knockouts. Um, but as we all know, on this show, the two-minute round, the WBO doesn't have rankings. So we don't even know if where Michaela Mayer is ranked at the WBO. So can the WBO mandate Ewa Branica to face Michaela Mayer as a number one mandatory challenger where we don't even know who's ranked? Who knows? I, I mean, I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past them, but that would be, wow. That would be, that would be amazing. That would be insane for the WBO to do that. But being with that cozy relationship that they have with top rank, I wouldn't put it past them. If, if Mr. Bob Arum picks up that phone in Las Vegas, Nevada, where top rank is based out of and calls, Puerto Rico and Mr. Paco Barcarcel, who is the president of the WBO. So we might be seeing that. Who knows? We're going to wait 2020 to find out. Or maybe Michele Mayer just keeps on on this holding pattern and waits for the winner of Eva Wallstrom and Terry Harper in February of 2020. So we're going to have to wait and see. Now, a little bit of yeah. a sad news. Nicola Adams, who was a WBO Flyweight champion announced her retirement because uh, I guess she has a, a, some problem with her eye, and basically she was uh, heavily suggested by her doctors that she retire and not receive any more um, punishment to her eye because she loses her sight. So Nicola Adams obviously relinquished that WBO flyweight title and now has retired from professional boxing. So uh, we bid uh, Nicola Adams a good retirement. And maybe I think she had mentioned that she was going to stay in the sport and maybe look to train or, or something to that effect. It, it, okay. It's funny because yeah. I, I ran into Areli. I ran into Areli at the Fantasy Springs a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And I talked to her about that. And she still has a limp in her, in her leg. So she's oh, not no. completely healed. Yeah, she was at oh, the fight wow. with her boyfriend, uh, uh, Acosta. And, uh, yeah, Tito Acosta. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit, and she, she understood why they took the title away. She she kind of explained that she couldn't fight. Yeah, but at one point, you know, not to get too deep into it, but at one time, uh, at one point, um, uh, Nicola Adams couldn't fight either, and yeah. she was... It was just weird. It was just weird the way they, they did that whole thing. So, you know, 
But yeah. we've got we we talked extensively. And well, now we don't have that problem anymore because now the WBO flyweight title is um, vacant, and if Arely Monsignor ever comes back to fighting again, which I follow her on social media, and she has started some uh, physical therapy. I think has, she has worked a little bit in the gym, but not too much. So it looks like she is coming back from that. Uh, she broke her ankle in a car accident. Um, so from that um, injury. So we'll see what happens there. And we uh, bid uh, Nicole Adams a, a happy retirement. This last week, it was formally announced um, the fight between none other than Clarissa Shields, the undisputed, undefeated, and unified 160-pound champion. She will be going down to 154 to try to uh, capture another title in another division, this time the WBO, vacant WBO junior middleweight title. If she does do that against her uh, opponent, Ivana Havazin, on January 10th on Showtime, then she will be the fastest three-division world champion in boxing history. Um, uh, Japanese Ioka did it in about 12 fights, I believe. And also Vasily Lomachenko did it as well in 12 fights. And it looks like if Clarissa does it, it's going to be like 10 fights or 11 fights for Clarissa Shields. So that is um, scheduled for January 10th. She is um, training. She's starting her tra- uh, training. She's talked about her weight, how she's kept it down. Um, she expressed on Twitter that she has started a new diet, which I hope she stays with. Uh, beyond this camp where she turned vegetarian. And I think that as of a couple of days ago, she was on day number 21. She says she was yeah. enjoying being a vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for over 10 years. So it's always, I'm always happy when somebody goes vegetarian. Um, so I'm happy for her and uh, we'll see what happens. But one thing that does kind of makes me cringe and worries me is that quite possibly the most celebrated female fighter in the last three to five years, if not in the last 10 years, as far as the attention that she has gotten, is, I don't even think just even heavily considering it, but really planning on jumping to MMA. So much so that it's been announced that a fight against Amanda Nunez, who is a big MMA name, for the UFC could be a possible opponent in the future. Lupi, what are your thoughts about Clarissa Shields thinking about making the jump to MMA? Well, I'm all about making the jump to MMA. If, if, if that's what you want to do and you're going to do your training and, but it's totally different than boxing. I think going for somebody like Amanda Nunes, that's shooting for the stars, which shoot, I mean, Clarissa's got great confidence, shoot for the stars, but, I don't know. Maybe start um, not such big of a name. Amanda's a beast. You know? Yeah. Maybe. I, I mean, I, that, I, that's I, what I think. Yeah, and I, I, and I agree with you. I wouldn't put it past her that her first fight in the MMA world will be against an Amanda Nunez because Carisha Shields does that, you know? Um, I, just, I just don't like the fact that, that, you know, one of the most celebrated female fighters in the last, I don't know, whenever – since Layla McCarthy, mm-hmm. this is Layla Lee or, or whoever you might want to mention in the United States is considering leaving, uh, maybe not even leaving boxing, but trying another sport. Yeah. Well, maybe with, with what happened, you know, 
when her last fight got called off, I mean, she was probably thinking, I mean, it was such a, the media went crazy. I mean, it was just so much chaos in her life. She probably just thought, hey, you know, I'll leave. Let me go to MMA. I'll take Nunes. You know, maybe it's just a thought. Now, one thing, no, I mean, I think it's more, I think it's more of a thought. I mean, she's posted some Twitter, yeah. uh, some tweets uh, stating that she's really going to, she's going to do it. And, and um, another yeah, thing she said she's is. already training. Yeah, she's, she's and I've seen some video of it. I've seen some video of her of actually, like, you know, training some MMA. She's posted a video on her social media. And one thing that she mentioned that one of the reasons oh, is it. that according to her, um, MMA um, fans are more accepting, and you know, and we all know that yeah. she gets a lot of slack from from mm-hmm. boxing fans. You know, so David, I know that you're not too happy. I know you've expressed here, here quite a, a bit uh, about your thoughts about MMA. But what do you think about Clarissa Shields thinking of going to MMA? Well, I mean, of course, it's her choice. I mean, if somebody were to ask me, I would have said no. I would say no because. Uh, I think uh, women's boxing really needs uh, Clarissa. They really need her. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for her to, to to just leave and go into MMA, it, it kind of uh, invalidates uh, her work in boxing. Uh, I mean, I could, if it's a, just a money thing, yeah, I could see that because right now the women's MMA uh, – Sport is uh, more advanced in terms of money. They're making more money than women, but Clarissa is making the most for an American woman, and uh, Katie makes the most overall. And they're, you know, they're pushing the sport to to make more and more and more. And if she were to leave, I think it would kind of uh, uh, dampen um, the efforts that that she's making on her own. Yeah. I mean, Clarissa is mm-hmm. the one that's really pushing the em- the envelope. Uh, but yeah. what I heard is that she's going to box Amanda Nunez first and then fight her in MMA. But, hmm. but the first going to meet in the boxing ring, which is still, oh. still you know, interesting. Well, yeah. we'll see what, what goes into that. And lastly, in our fight chatter, uh, December 4th, so that's in a couple of weeks, December 4th will be the day that we'll find out which two females will be the first female boxers ever inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota, New York. I turned in my ballot way before the deadline of October 31st. I'm sure David did as well. So now we just have a couple more weeks to wait to see who are going to be the two women that are going to be inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, Before we leave the fight chatter section, go ahead, David. I'm not as excited as everybody else because I kind of uh, feel that um, they're not really wholehearted into it yet. I mean, even though we're voting and that I, mm-hmm. I think that I'm more, uh, I think that the International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame has it right. They're, they've, you know, they've been in this for years and they know what they're doing. And whereas yeah. the, the, the men's version, it's like uh, they don't even know who they're voting for, some of these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, no. I just, it just doesn't have my whole heart into it. 
But the but the difference is, David, and we gotta kind of hurry it up here because we only got about seven minutes, and we still gotta give the upcoming counter. But the difference is, is that the International Boxing Hall of Fame has given the opportunity to uh, different scribes, different people that may or may not, that may be involved in the female boxing world, like you, like myself, which I feel honored to be one of the people that were chosen to be an elector. That the argument is the opportunity to vote, whereas. No knock on 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 Miss Sue uh, Sue Fox, which I I like we mentioned here before. I, I help uh, with the program for the Women's Boxing um, Hall of Fame, but she's the one that chooses. I, there's no panel, you know. We're not given the opportunity to vote. Uh, at the end of the day, it's Susan who who Sue who 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 chooses that. So you know. I I see I agree with you to a certain extent, but I also see the International Boxing Hall of Fame, which is considered the 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 the, the boxing hall of fame. And come June, these women are going to be rubbing elbows and being put on the same pedestal as all the other male fighters that have been enshrined into that hall of fame. So I'm excited to a certain extent because I think it's historic and I'm actually tentatively thinking of actually going to the ceremony in June, if I can make that happen. So just to be there, because it is going to be the first time that two female fighters are being inducted into the international boxing hall of fame. So uh, we'll see what happens there before we go and go into very quickly a rundown of the upcoming counter, any fight chatter from you, Lupi, anything new, happening that might be coming up in the next couple of weeks? In the next couple of weeks. Off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. No, let's see the if anything comes to me I'll I'll cut you off. I'll, okay. You're you're no stranger to cutting me off, Lupi, that's no problem. And David, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing uh nothing on my end right now. Nothing on my end. Okay. Perfect. So let's go up to the upcoming calendar fairly quickly here because we do only have uh, five minutes. We have a really long, extensive, informative show. Saturday, November 23rd in Quebec, Canada. This Saturday, Marie-Yves DeCary, undefeated, will be defending her IBF welterweight title against Ogledi Suarez in a scheduled 10-rounder. And Ms. Raquel Miller, friend of the show from Northern California, portrays in San Diego, will be looking to capture the vacant interim WBA title at 154 pounds against undefeated as well Alma Ibarra in a scheduled 10 rounder uh, at the WBA champion is Anna Gabriel so being the interim WBA champion the winner of that fight would look forward to perhaps cha- uh, um, um, challenging Anna Gabriel's in the future also this Saturday night from Ciudad Juarez on Televisa Diana Fernandez La Bonita will be facing former world champion Esmeralda Moreno La Joya in a 10-rounder at 115 pounds for the WBC Latino title. Esmeralda La Joya Moreno jumping up from 108, which is her natural weight class, all the way to 115. Also in Madrid, Spain, Joanna Pastrana will be defending her 105 vacant. Actually, sorry, she'll be facing Katia Gutierrez. She was the champion. She lost the title in the last fight, and now they're fighting against for the vacant WBC silver champion title at 105 pounds against Mexican Katia Gutierrez. On Wednesday, November 27th from Malta, Hannah Rankin faces Mm -hmm. Patricia Bergut in a 10-rounder for the interim WBC 
and full-fledged, I believe, or I don't know if it's the interim WBC and also the interim IBF title at 154 pounds because of the the 154-pound champion, or maybe it's 168. This might be off, but Hannah Rankin is fighting Patricia Bergul. That's all we know. It might be 168 because I think that she captured the title at 168 for the IBO Hannah Rankin. And on Friday, November 29th, uh, from Madrid, um, Miriam Gutierrez faces Karen Batiste for the interim WBA 135-pound title, so that we might be seeing the winner of that challenge Katie Taylor in the future. On Saturday, November 30th, Czech Republic Fabiana Bitiki will be defending her title at 102 pounds, I would believe, unless it's not um, a title fight. It's just that box rig cannot doesn't show Adam weight t- title fight. They put him at minimum weight because they don't have the option to put Adam weight 102 pounds. And I'm not sure Ana Razola, the veteran from Mexico, can make 102 pounds. So I don't know if this is a world title fight or not, but that's going to happen in the Czech Republic on November 30th. And finally, on that same night of November 30th, Saturday from the zone uh, from Monte Carlo, Cecilia Brickhouse training right now in the mountains of Big Bear, quite near Mr. Mm-hmm. Weren't you going to go visit her, David? Uh, it, yeah, we, I did. I did, but it's already snowing. <laughs> so okay. maybe it's Saturday. Okay, Cecilia Brickhouse faces Victoria Noelia Bustos in a 10 rounder at 147 pounds. WBC, WBA, IBF, WBO, and IBO world titles. Our next show is scheduled for December 5th. And hopefully, if David goes up this Saturday up to the mountain in Big Bear to see Cecilia Brickhouse in a training camp with Mr. With uh, uh, Abel Sanchez, he can get a little bit mm-hmm. of audio, maybe record it with his cell phone and send it to me, and we could possibly share it here on our next show, December 5th. Anything else to add in about a minute or less, Lupi or David? Did, did we ever find out who won that heavyweight um, title? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. As far oh, as I ah. saw, it did not happen. It got postponed. Okay. So that fight did not happen. Okay. I, I just want to say I extend uh, our our hopes for Sinisa Estrada's family. I hope everything's fine and we'll talk to her soon. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yes, we do hope that whatever happened that kept her from being on the show with us is okay. And maybe we could have her on our next show scheduled for December 5th here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash two minute round. And with that, we want to wish all of you a very, very, very uh, Thanksgiving. I'm not a big believer of the of the uh, of the holiday, but I do believe that we should get together with our family members and have a good meal, possibly with yeah. no animals being murdered. But if that is what you like to do, <laughs> go right ahead. I'm sure Clarissa Shield feels the same way as I do. But have a great night, have a great dinner, and we'll see you December fifth. Good night. All right. Bye. Bye. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women in the ring. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.